You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. Verse 9, But Jonathan said, Far be it from you. For if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? So again, he's assuring him, no, David, I I don't know anything about this, and I'm here for you, man. Verse 10, then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me, or what if your father answers you roughly? So he's just, David's just thinking through the logistics of this. Okay, how are you going to inform me? I'm out hiding in the field. How are you going to let me know, you know, without getting caught, things like that. And then verse 11, And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. Then Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out or assessed my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you. May the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. For if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Now this is neat how Jonathan is just encouraging David and saying, look, if my father wishes ill towards you, I am going to tell you and you will have to go away because you can't stay here, you can't go home to your family, that would, that would not only put you in danger, but your whole family in danger. You're going to have to be an outlaw if that's the case, and run for your life and flee. But he's not worried about it, because he says, the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. He's saying, David, I see the hand of God in your life. I see that God's with you and God loves you and so I can let you go and God will take care of you. And this is what Jonathan is saying and encouraging David. And he says in verse 14, and you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house or my descendants forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. He's so confident in David's anointing in his ministry and that God will make him successful that he's saying, when that happens, don't forget me. It reminds me of the thief on the cross next to Jesus saying, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. That's a statement of faith. When you come into your kingdom, remember me, Lord. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow, what a great promise. Verse 16, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. We talked about this last week. And the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jonathan is a great example of this friendship towards David. Now, most would give in to the flesh at this point because it would be a power struggle. 
Jonathan would, would give in out of fear and distrust, and, and he would seek to kill David if he was operating in the flesh with his animal instincts, if you will. And David, out of ambition and self-justification, man, your dad's trying to kill me. I've been anointed as the next king by Samuel the prophet. I think I'm just going to take the crown right now. Just go for it. And that would be the flesh because it wasn't time yet. And it wasn't the right way. And so both of these guys determined that come what may, they will trust the Lord and be kind and be loyal to one another and let God work out the details. And so by God's grace, they're able to keep their oath to one another. And guys, by God's grace, we need to determine to do the right thing even when we think the right thing is gonna cause everything to fall apart. Do the right thing anyway because it's an act of faith. Oh, if I don't lie about this, then uh, I'm gonna owe three more thousand dollars on my taxes and my world will come crashing in. I can't afford that. Do the right thing and trust God for his provision. Trust God. Trust the Lord, friends. Do the right thing. And we see this work out in Jonathan and David's lives. Verse 18, then Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. So it's not going to go unnoticed, David, that you're not there. Now, the new moon is, uh, you know, it's the beginning of the month. Month comes from the word month, right? It's just from the time that we don't see the moon because the sun's shining on the wrong, the other side of it, and then it becomes full, and then it becomes no moon again, right? The new moon. So they would celebrate the new moon and have this feast, and it would be a three-day feast, and David was going to purposely be missing. Verse 19, and when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed and remain by the stone of Ezel. Then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And there I will send a lad saying, go find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you, get them and come. Then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you. Go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed the Lord be between you and me forever. And here he's referring to that covenant of friendship and saying the Lord is between me and you forever. We have a bond. We're not going to violate our friendship. Now, this would be a terrible, terrible thing for David, and it ends up being that, to be an outlaw. If you think of it in Jewish society, it's basically excommunicated from corporate worship and sacrifice. And for a man like David, who is a very devout and passionate worshiper of God, and wanting to, you know, uh, obey the law of God, to be forced out is really horrible for him and estranged from the people of God whom he loves so much. 
hated and hunted by the king and the army that he also loves so much. Very difficult time. So David is just, must be absolutely anxious, waiting to find out, do I stay or am am I going to be forced out? Verse 24, then David hid in the field And when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is unclean, surely. He is unclean, or have committed some sin or something and couldn't be uh, there with them because of his impurity, thinking the worst of David. You know, we, we do this when we're jealous of people, friends. You should ask yourself, when you're, when you're thinking of someone and they just really irritate you and bother you a lot, and it doesn't seem like they can do anything right in your mind, ask yourself if you have any jealousy towards them and, and pray about it. Because that is one reason that we think badly of other people when we feel jealous of them. And, and then, you know, we repent of that and we begin to uh, pray for them. And, and then we begin to see the good things in them. And so I encourage you with that, you know, because Saul can't see any good in David when there's plenty of good to see. In fact, the Pharisees uh, and the religious leaders were jealous of Jesus, and they couldn't see anything good in Jesus. How could you see nothing good in Jesus? They wanted to destroy him. Verse 27, And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty, and Saul said to Jonathan his son, Why has the son of Jesse not come to eat, either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. And, of course, Jonathan here is lying. This is not true. David's actually hiding out in the field, and they're waiting to see what Saul's response would be. And Saul is not a stupid guy. He's perceptive, and he sees through what Jonathan's doing. And so in verse 30, it says, then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. (laughs) Well, (laughs) blame the woman. (laughs) What about your part, Saul? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you you know, when the kids get in trouble, it becomes your spouse's child instead of yours. (laughs) Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now, therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. So Saul projects his own idolization of the crown onto Jonathan, thinking, well, my son needs to realize here that if we let David live, he's going to be king instead of Jonathan. Jonathan's willing to let that go. 
In fact, Jonathan has so much as vocalized that from the beginning by giving him his armor. He said, I'm willing to let that go. It's not an idol in my life. Whereas Saul has made this an idol. You can also tell, I should say, a good indicator. One of the key indicators of a thing that is an idol in your life is if it gets threatened, what is your reaction? How angry do you get? If you get really angry, you know, you got the vacation planned and then something comes up and you can't go and you're just like, ah! Whoa, settle down. You can reschedule, <laughs> you know? If, if, how much do we lose it when we lose something? is an indicator of how much we might at idolize that, that thing. Verse 32, And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? And there's the question. What's he done wrong? What if God does make him the king? Does that, has he done anything wrong? Has he tried to take the crown? Has he committed treason of any kind? No, he's innocent. And so Jonathan rightly calls him out. He put, Jonathan puts his righteousness over his ambition. Verse 33, then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him. Gosh, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So God made it real clear. David, it's time to go. <laughs> You're no longer welcome here. Verse 34, so Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. So Jonathan empathizes and takes up a reproach for David as he grieves for David. This is good friendship to take up a reproach for a friend who is treated so badly and to feel the grief. And that's what empathy really is, to feel that pain with someone as if you are going through it yourself because you care for them. Verse 35, and so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David and a little lad was with him then he said to his lad, now run, find the arrows which I shoot. As the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the lad had come to the place where the arrow was, which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan cried out after the lad, make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, Go, carry them to the city. As soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another, and they wept together, but David more so. So back then, men would kiss each other on the neck or the cheek and things like that. It was a common form of greeting, so don't go weird on us with this. Some people like to try and go weird. See, homosexuality is, is okay. And no, not at all. In fact, this close friendship 
is, is beautiful in the Bible, and it's pure. And these guys are following the law of God, and the law of God strictly prohibits uh, relation, same-sex relationships. And uh, so that's not what is happening here. We've just tainted our whole concept, and our society is so perverted and so twisted that we can't even read a story like this without thinking something twisted. And maybe some of you were thinking, I wasn't thinking anything wrong. What's wrong with you, Pastor? <laughs> but people have actually come out and said that, and accused Jonathan and David and said, see, yeah, that's even in the Bible there. But that's not true at all. And so these guys are, are just grieving together uh, because uh, of what's happening and how David's going to now have to go on the run. And it says David wept more so now, David was a passionate man. We see this in him here. He had a lot of passion. We see that passion come out in the Psalms. We see it come out in him as a warrior. We also see it come out in him in a bad way when he gets established as king and he sees Bathsheba bathing on the roof and he takes her. And so it's, you know, passion in a person can be very good if directed in the right way, just like anything, really. But if directed in the wrong way, it could be very damaging. Verse 42, Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So he's got to now flee for his life and become an outlaw. Now, this is our last mention of Jonathan until uh, chapter 23, where we get three verses on him. And then we get his death at the end of the book. But what an incredible example Jonathan is to all of us. What an amazing friend. This is why my brother named his son Jonathan, and uh, just, just an incredible guy. And so Jonathan, a friend to David, Jonathan and David came from different backgrounds. It's like a, it's the prince and the pauper, right? Jonathan the prince, David the shepherd boy. Jonathan had armor and resources, weapons of war. David came along with his harp, his staff, and his sling. There was an age difference between the two of them. And yet, David was Jonathan's hero. That tells us something about Jonathan. It tells us that he had a humble heart. They also had shared characteristics. They were both warriors. They were gifted with wisdom and courage and strength and skill. They had leadership skills. And their friendship was mutually beneficial. They both had faith in God. Romans 1.11 tells us, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's speaking to the, Ro the church at Rome, and he says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. This is a great foundation for a friendship and a marriage, I might say. 
to have the mutual, mutually beneficial faith in God, where you bring each other up and encourage each other in the Lord. When my brother and I were in high school, we would take turns slipping up and degrading, and it was really horrible sometimes. We would start joking and getting into coarse jesting, and, and, uh, and it would just spiral. And then he would say to me, dude, you need to go read your Bible. It's like, oh. And it worked. It was good. And then, uh, you know, and then on another instance, I would do that to him, you know. And we were more trying to jab each other, but it was actually really brought us out of, you know, potty talk and how guys can get that, young guys especially. So anyway, that friendship as it was so often with my brother and I actually, can, can be damaging if, you know, you're leading each other down paths that are not good, or it could be really beneficial if you're encouraging each other in the Lord. And these are the friendships that we should seek to have and the kind of friend that we should seek to be. And they were also servants of God. They were both sold out for the Lord, saying, I'm surrendered to God. I want to do His will and not my own. And that's what really brought them together so powerfully. Now, we've got to be careful because we've talked, you know, a lot about Jonathan being a loyal friend, and sometimes we might take that to mean that any friend we have, we just have to be unconditionally loyal no matter what. And you see it a lot in like war movies and stuff where we've been to war together and so we've got each other backs and no matter what. But the Bible actually teaches us in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? Sometimes we think that we want to pull people up, you know, out of the pit and put their feet on a rock. That's the work of God, friends. Because if you're standing up on a chair or a stool and you're trying to pull that person up, but they're not working with you, they're not trying to work with you to get up on that chair or stool, and they decide they want to start pulling back, who's going to win the tug of war? <laughs> they are. And that's why the Bible says that... Uh, Bad company corrupts good morals. And so we have to watch out for that. But be the good friend that Jonathan is and look to have good friends that love Jesus, that have faith, and that can build you up in the mutual faith of the Lord. And so Jonathan, he displays a lot of wonderful acts of friendships. We learned last week that he warned he helped. He defended David. He was a peacemaker between David and Saul. He was loyal and committed. He wasn't a fair-weather friend. He was in covenant, covenant relationship with David. And here, we think of our covenant relationships as married couples, for those of you that were married in here, and you've given your oath and your vows at the altar or before the justice of the peace, whatever the case may be, and you're in covenant, and so let's be covenant-keeping people. He puts God first, surrenders his own rights and ambitions to the Lord, is a friend to his dad by not holding back the truth of correction, 
He puts David's interests above his own. He encourages David with promises and reminders of what God has said. That's a good friend. Let's seek to be that friend. And as we see a friend, you know, getting discouraged, encourage that person in the Lord. Remind them of the promises of God. Share the scriptures. Turn on worship music together and worship the Lord together. So as wonderful as Jonathan was, God still ends up taking him out of the picture before David becomes king. And he ends up dying at the end of this book in battle along with his dad, Saul. And I always thought, man, he would have made such a great king, Lord. But God knows all, and God in his sovereignty had chosen David to be the next king. And he knew that Jonathan, to continue being around, would have inhibited that in some way. And so Jonathan's time came here at the end of the book. But he had a great influence on David, and he helped shape him as a leader. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.